Good morning, again. Get myself situated. Every time I switch and use my tablet instead of regular paper, I live in fear that it will just randomly die on me. (laughs) But I don't want to waste the paper, so. Today I'm going to be reading from John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. And uh, those will be on the screen behind me, or if you want to take the time to open your own Bibles and find that again, that's John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Which reads, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their, through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before, before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. All right, so today is the last message in our prayer series, which now that I'm saying that, I think that's correct. Good. (laughs) Sometimes I write down wrong dates. So in the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been looking at different prayers throughout scripture, and Now, as we move into a new topic next Sunday about becoming a missions edge church, which is Pastor Borden's least favorite thing to say and now my new favorite thing to say. And we're going to talk more about what exactly that means later. But I think that it's very fitting that we're ending this prayer series as we move into this new time with Jesus' prayer in the Gospel of John, where he prayed that his followers would be one, just as he and his father were one. Especially as we move into a time where we as a church, we need to come together in unity to figure out who we are as a church, what our goals are, and how we want to accomplish those goals. So in the chapters leading up to this prayer and throughout this chapter, there's three big themes that really come up over and over again. And it's Jesus stating that I am going, you are staying, to continue my work, but you can't do it alone. So I'm sending you the spirit. And in this prayer, it's the last few hours that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. And he ended this time he had with them in a prayer meeting. He knows that the time is coming, his time on earth is coming to an end. He knows that the people that want to see harm come to him are closing in. And yet, he wants to spend this time in prayer with his, for his disciples, for them to know that they are not alone, that like him, they are one with God, and they can be one with each other, that they can have that unity. Because they and we need to know that we cannot do any of this alone. So today, I want to talk about three main points within this prayer of unity that 
things that we can be taught. And first is that Jesus teaches us not to discriminate. The second is that when we talk about church unity, it has to start with godly love. We cannot have uh, we cannot have the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about here without that godly love. And the unity that he's talking about, it's not just partnership, but it's very much relational. And how we put that into practice is by modeling the love that God shows us within the Trinity, within that relational aspect of Father, Son, and Spirit. And the final point that I want to touch on is that church unity helps spread the gospel. And more importantly, that there are really big consequences when we're not united. So my first point, or the first thing that this prayer of Jesus teaches us, is to not discriminate. So while Jesus, what he was sitting with a specific group of people, this prayer, it wasn't solely directed at them. This was not a prayer directed at the people seated around that specific table, but it was a prayer directed to all followers of Jesus. And that time, and all of Jesus' followers that would come in the future, that's who it's directed to. We know, and Jesus knew, that the followers would come from different nations, different classes, statuses. They would speak different languages. And Jesus doesn't discriminate this prayer. He, his truth and what he is saying, it is for everyone, for all believers. And I think that when we're talking about unity of believers and this idea that Jesus doesn't want us to discriminate means that we're not always going to get along or agree with each other. But regardless of that, we still need to be one with each other despite all of those differences. This unity and oneness that Jesus is talking about in this prayer, it's all about love. It's like being a part of a family. And I'm sure that we all know that family sometimes comes with disagreements. And like the families that we each have individually, this church as a group is also a family. So obviously it's going to come with some differences. And Jesus is saying here that regardless of whether we get along or like one another, we are all one in Christ. And more than that, we need together to have that unity. We need to be part of this greater whole because it just doesn't, we can't be solitary Christians. It just doesn't work. We cannot do it like this. We can't do it without each other. So even with these differences, how can we as a church achieve unity? Well, we have to look at what it means to be united, which brings me to my second point, which church unity begins with godly love. In verse 21, we see that this unity that Jesus wants for us, the unity that he's praying for, it's modeled by the unity that he has with the Father. He says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And we, we understand the relationship between the three persons of God. We understand that Father, Son, and Spirit relationship is rooted in love. I mean, how often have we heard the sentence that God is love? Because we know that that perfect unity that God has, it comes from the love of that relationship between those, those persons within it. So when Jesus is saying that he wants us to have unity with him and with each other, it needs to start with that, that godly love. It needs to model the love that he shares with the Father. And it's more, it's, 
more than just sharing the same beliefs, that will not give the unity that Jesus is talking about. We, we need to add love into it as well. We need to add love for one another despite all of our differences. And only then will we achieve that unity that he is specifically talking about. Because there is a difference between a union of people or an agreement and unity. When we, when we add in that love that Jesus is modeling into the idea of coming together, it means sharing a life together. Because only when we do that can we, can we do what Jesus is asking of us, which is to have our oneness, to be assigned to the world of God's truth and love by mirroring godly love, by mirroring what the relationship within the Trinity looks like. Which leads to my third point, that Christian unity helps spread the gospel. So if we look at verses 22 and 23 again, which reads, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and I have, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So in this, this section, Jesus is saying that the whole world's can judge the validity of God and the entirety of the Christian faith. And what they're gonna to use to measure that against is the unity of God's people, the unity of us. And that, that seems like a pretty big deal to me <laughs> when we're united and we have unity that Jesus spoke about among believers in our church, it can help spread the gospel. But what if we don't? If we don't have that unity, it has, I think, some pretty big consequences. And not to say that, you know, we can ruin God's plan, but, I mean, we can either work God, with God or we can work against him. And I would rather not work against him. <laughs> Meaning that we need to mirror God's love and unity by loving and being united with each other. Because if we don't, there's a few things that can happen. So either the people around us, they don't see that godly love that we're supposed to be expressing because we're not doing it. <laughs> and we're not sharing it with them. Or they hear the words that we say about God, how God is love. They hear these messages about what we're saying, but we don't put it into action within ourselves. We don't act that way with one another. And so they see that we're hypocrites, and they will not trust us. And we can't be effective witnesses if people see us as hypocrites and untrustworthy. So Jesus' prayer for the unity of believers, it's, it's not always an easy thing for us. And it wasn't an easy thing for his earlier followers either. As early as, you know, Acts chapter 6, there's tension and disunity. Chapter 6 starts with, uh, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were, not, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, now, that's, it was a very small conflict, and it was quickly resolved, but other conflicts emerge. I mean, we look at multiple letters of Paul of arguments within church and constantly having to bring them back together, settle disagreements and disunity. And today, that's no exception. We see conflicts. I think each one of us has seen conflict within the church. We see division, and we've not always held up the expectation and hope that Jesus had for us to have unity. 
And the reality is that a divided church loses all credibility to the community and the world around us. We lose all effectiveness in our witness. And I think that is the real importance of Jesus' desire for us to be one with each other and him. Because we have to think, what exactly is the purpose of the church? And what have we, as believers, each been called to do? We exist to reach the world. We are called to be instruments in God's amazing plan. We are called to witness to the gospel, God's message to a broken world and broken people. We're called to be the instrument that reaches out and brings the transforming gospel to all people. So if unity multiplies the effectiveness of our witness, but when we don't have it, when we're divided, it doesn't just halt our witness, but it hurts it. And when we put our energies into fighting one another, that's energies that we could have been putting into proclaiming the word of Christ. So unity, it's different. It's always been difficult. But this passage, it doesn't simply say that, you know, God is united and that we also have to be united. It's not two separate things. Jesus prays that we should be one with him and one with each other. So it's this unity between believers and between believers and father and son and spirit that makes the impossible possible. This prayer that Jesus spoke, it's, it's a calling for us, one that we need to obey. If we see or feel division within our church community, we need to deal with it. And we, we must be united and remain united if we're going to work alongside God in his plan to turn this whole world upside down, to transform it. If we want to be a part of that plan that he's doing, you know, we need to come together. <laughs> and God, he could have set out his, his plan to transform the world without us. He, he doesn't need us to make transformation happen. But this is the strategy that, that he's decided to use for us to join in with him and his plan to bring a broken world and people a family, a shared life, to bring to the world that is craving for meaningful connection and relationships, a shared life in one great family. So as a church, we need to be united to present to the world that family in which each one of us knows each other, accepts all peoples despite our differences, one that prays together, laughs together, cries together, one that lives our lives together because we genuinely love one another. And when we do this, the world looks in and they see that and they want to be part of that fellowship and warmth that we can show. We mirror that godly love with one another and that speaks volumes to the world. I think more so than any words that we can say to them. We can mirror that love because like Jesus is one with the Father, we too are one with him. And in turn, we can be one with each other. So end this time with uh, one of the prayers that you can take home from one of our cards that we made. If you haven't picked one up already, uh, they're just on the back table there as you leave the sanctuary. And throughout the week, you can keep this prayer in mind uh, that we'll, we'll say. And you can also reread this scripture and keep Jesus' prayer in mind. So as we've talked about unity, let's come together as followers in Christ and pray. Dear Jesus, help me to be one with you in a way that helps people around me see that you are real. Help me to be united with the believers in my church 
and your larger church so that the world will know that you love them. Amen.